You're listening to the Solo to CEO podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Solo to CEO podcast, where we provide a mix of powerful, thought-provoking, and practical information to assist you in your transformation from solo to CEO of a high-impact, high-revenue-generating business. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here with Sarah Jacobs, one of the founding partners of Jacobs Burger. Jacobs Burger is a family law firm based in Morristown, New Jersey. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you as a guest today on the Solo to CEO podcast. Hi, Davina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about being here. Great. So, so I use the term family law firm and, you know, to um, non-lawyers, that can be such a generic term. And even to lawyers, you know, that can mean a little bit different things to different people. So why don't you tell us a little more specifically about your firm and what it is that you do? I think you're right, Davina. I do believe that family law is a really broad context, and it also has a variety of different meanings. For my partners and I, we really try to provide a law firm that covers the gamut of what you need as a family in the context of divorce, custody, mediation, adoption, and that arena. We try not to peg ourselves as a divorce law firm or a custody law firm because we really do provide a lot of different services within the branches of family law, but we really do try to focus our efforts and our services on those people who have real needs, real time, and who want real outcomes with real solutions. Uh, in fact, I noticed that mediation is a big part of your practice, isn't it? Yes, it is. All three. So we have um, currently we have four attorneys at the firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of us are named founding partners. One of us is another partner, and we have an associate. Both my both partners um, and I are all mediators, and my uh, founding partner and I both have taken a huge role in implementing more mediation services as part of our firm. We really do feel that it balances out the litigation aspect. There are cases that just can't settle and need litigation and need the court intervention and need to sort of have an arbitrator, if you will. But we find that a lot of family law cases can result and resolve with the use of mediation. And we are big proponents not only of mediation when we're the mediators, but of mediation when we're sort of the litigators in the case because it's a solution-oriented, customized outcome. And Mm -hmm. with family law, where people are not cookie-cutter and don't have the same issues from case to case, family to family, child to children, to parent, to grandparent, to aunts and uncles, we find that it provides a really nice opportunity for settlement-minded amicably driven people to sort of write their own ending. And it's been a very positive source of uh, camaraderie, both within the clients that we are working with and for, but also within the law firm itself. And that kind of fits in with your sort of approach and philosophy. When I was um doing a little bit of research and and studying your firm and looking at your firm, you kind of have that uh, uh, as, as part of your approach, right? Yes. We, so 
my partner Jamie and I, um, we very much believe in the philosophy that you will need us for a time and for a season, hopefully not for many seasons and hopefully not for too long of a period of time, but you will need us for a time and a season. When you are done having us as active participants in your day-to-day life, you're going to need to live that life and you're not need to going to be able to sustain whatever you've created in the process where we're partners with you. And so we very much take the practical approach with you. Yes, you have family law problems. Yes, you may need to resolve those family law problems or those family law issues right now. Whatever you do now sets you up for how you're going to be able to move forward in the future. And when we're making decisions with you, we really do try to highlight the idea of, okay, that's what you want today. Let's talk about what you want in five years, 10 years. Maybe it's fuzzy. Maybe it's just, you know, crystal balling at this particular point. How can we work what you want in the long term into what you need today so that you have a solid foundation underneath you when you're done with us to walk forward into that future and say, okay, I can't afford the house I'm living in. Okay, this custody arrangement makes sense and it makes sense for my five-year-old today and my 15-year-old in the future. Sure, things change, circumstances arise, you know, the, the world evolves and revolves, but we try not to let this season and this time overtake what the future can and should look like. And we want you to walk out of our lives into your life in a solid, practical way. So it sounds like you and your partner are very well matched. How did you two uh, meet and become partners? Funny story. Um, We actually met as adversaries. Jamie and I both worked for other uh, very established uh, family slash matrimonial law firms here in New Jersey. Jamie worked for um, a firm in Morris County as well. I worked for a firm in Bergen County. Um, and our uh, at that time, both of our partners who were um, active participants in family law and in the family bar in the state of New Jersey uh, had a case against each other. And in typical fashion, the associates get roped into that and get assigned to the file and you know, spend more time talking to each other than we spent talking to our families. And we, the case was very contested and um, our clients were very oppositional. And Jamie and I found that we had a similar work style, a similar respect for the law, our partners, for advocacy, but also for forming a relationship between, you know, adversaries that was productive and useful and moved both parties forward towards a conclusion. I didn't let them get stuck in the quicksand of fighting just to fight. And we finished the case. We stayed colleagues. We stayed friends. I left my law firm first. I opened my own uh, law firm with a different partner. Jamie went out on maternity leave. She wound up joining my then firm as an of counsel. And we had a similar business sense, a similar legal sense. Over time, it just naturally progressed to the place where our prior partner went on to pursue a, ni- a niche practice and Jamie and I wound up forming what is currently Jacob's Burger. And when was that? Uh, that was approximately September of 2015. The transformation took place. Oh, right. And so you, uh, and you've grown quite a bit since then. Oh yes, very much. So tell me what that's been like. Uh, Jamie and I like to equate our then 
um, law firm to a newborn. And now we sort of feel that we're in the toddler bordering on actual child stage. Um, and we laugh at ourselves because prior to that, I had owned some version of this firm for, you know, approximately five years. So who would think that my firm in 2015 would be an infant? But we really have enjoyed the process of growing a law firm, but also in learning how to be business people and how to run a business as well as just a firm. And that has been an eye-opening experience for us in multiplicity of ways, not the least of which is, you know, personal growth and development, which is a hard thing to do as as a leader and mm-hmm. as, you know, a business owner. And it, it's been interesting as two of us instead of just one of us as well, because we've had to navigate the interpersonal relationships and our respective strengths and weaknesses, all while leading a team of people and servicing clients who are in one of the worst situations in their life. So it, it's, it's been a roller coaster to say the least. So how contrast that with your uh, first partnership? I mean, what y- you've obviously pursued some personal development, some some outside resources or or something with this partnership that maybe you didn't with the first one. Definitely, I I think number one we've grown just you know in terms of age, literally, age and maturity. I think also our, how do I, how do I phrase this? Our comfort with our current firm being, quote, established as opposed to the newbies that just left their firm and opened another firm is, is a dynamic that for those of us in New Jersey where family law is a very tight bar, but we, you know, we came from established firms and you sort of can't shake that shadow for a little while until you can stand on your own feet and sort of prove yourself. We've had the benefit of time. Mm -hmm. But I also think that, you know, partnership is a difficult concept and you really have to learn to be respectful of yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, your partner's strengths or weaknesses to navigate those and to learn to trust and to, to, for lack of a better catchphrase, lean in a little bit um, to those. It's like marriage. It's like marriage. (laughs) I I actually, Jamie and I joke all the time. We believe, number one, that we spend more time with each other than we do with our our respective husbands and families. But number two, we think we fight more with each other than we do with our respective husbands and families because we have such passion for what we do and passion for our business and we we formulate our decisions by by really fighting it out in the boardroom for lack of a better term but it's been a good learning experience for us and i think that part of what we can attribute to our our growth has been mindset development for the two of us who are we how do we navigate each other how do we work with each other what do we want our vision for our firm to be and how can we learn to trust each other in implicitly with decisions that normally two type A strong-willed female personalities have. And that's been, I think, the single source of our recipe for success, if you will. Yeah, I find that to be, um, I mean, that's really fascinating talk, you talking about that because that's one of the um, biggest challenges of partnership, I think, is that particularly for attorneys is because you do have such strong personalities, if you're in, and especially if you're in any sort of litigation, you know, litigate, Mm -hmm. you get a couple of litigators in a room, right? (laughs) And 
Um, and then you're trying to run a business together, uh, you know, already it's difficult already if you're partnering with somebody and you've got two people that are trying to steer the ship, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, That's going to be, that's going to be a challenge. And, and then as women, you know, uh, do you, do you find it difficult to, to not want to, not want to offend, not want to fight. I mean, you, you have to fight, but at the same time, you, you don't want to fight, you know, like you don't want to offend, but you, because you want to get along and you want to be liked and you want to be social and all that. But at the same time, you have strong opinions and you want to be heard and you want your, you want to be the one in charge. So it, I gets definitely think, yeah, I definitely think that our strong personalities come from, you know, sort of our upbringing and the way that we were taught. And, you know, we have a very forward thinking, you know, up, both of us forward thinking upbringing, you know, we are similarly situated, you know, in our, in our, the way that we were raised. But I think that we both have a good, healthy amount of opinions. And of, we, we like to express those opinions pretty regularly. And I think especially, like you said, being attorneys, but litigators and being litigators in a courtroom where traditionally it was a male dominated industry that has become exceedingly more female in nature over the years, but where there is bias and there's, you know, gender discrimination and there's this concept and and you have clients who fight about gender bias and discrimination. And when they're talking about their children and their money, it, it becomes even more pervasive, I think, in the way that you learn to communicate. And I think for us, the single biggest help has been learning how to speak each other's languages and learning how to trust decision-making when it comes to, well, she's better at this. So not that I don't have a say, but I'm going to listen more than I'm going to talk and I'm going to internalize and process. And she's going to do the same where she recognizes strengths for us and we're going to learn to lean on each other to help navigate the ship when it comes to those things. And the staff has learned not necessarily that there's a divide and conquer mentality, but that there is a healthy dose of respect from each other to the other. And that they see as a unified partnership and a unified front and that there's no derisiveness within that translates to our staff, which translates to our clients, which I think serves long-term the concept of bringing these families that are fractured to a happy conclusion, maybe Mm -hmm. not the best conclusion, but a happy one for them. They feel at least calm that there is an outcome and that they feel comfortable moving forward. And I think that they get that from feeling that they are with a team and that there's no forward face to the client and internal face to the, the partnership. It is the same face, no matter who, what side you're looking on. So I am assuming um, that you guys didn't just do this on your own, that you actually turned to some outside help to help you grow as partners and as people for this mindset work and to become better communicators and that kind of thing. We, we did. We, um, we sort of 
flew by the seat of our pants as we had early in, in my partnership and kind of continued some of that in the early stages of our partnership. We, as I mentioned, the New Jersey uh, family law section is a pretty tight bar. We had some friends who were using a coaching company and, you know, we're doing some good work. Uh, Jamie and I are skeptics by nature. And so we, you know, we fought it for quite a long time. And even when we joined, I would have to say that we maybe didn't embrace the mentality as much as we should have in the beginning stages in order to get as much out of it as possible. But it definitely pushed our comfort zone, pushed our horizons, pushed our thinking. We started making changes in the business, you know, on quote, our terms, of course. Um, and we saw change and we saw progress and we've, uh, for, we've doubled down and we've really committed to the process and we've really, you know, embraced what we feel is productive for us and who we are and how we operate. And we've asked for help when we've needed it. And we've, you know, pushed ourselves where we maybe felt like we were slipping and that has helped us look at the firm as a business and as really being better leaders and better managers and better attorneys for for that you know definition because the healthier we are in terms of our ability to reflect and listen the better we become at our job especially with the nature of what we do for a living and while it's not solely that I think you know we we've adopted it you can you can lead a horse to water but you can't force them to drink they have to be willing to drink and they have to be willing to you know find a place in the desert to relax right. but without that I don't think we would have pushed ourselves as hard as we did right and so you have expanded you have other attorneys and how has that changed um, the dynamic of the firm what kind of challenges came out of that well leading a group of people especially when you have two strong personalities has been an interesting dynamic because they all have strong personalities and we tend to find that we we like the dynamic of having a lot of personalities in the office and and really play to each of those person's strengths i think that one of the biggest things that Jamie and I have created here is a culture of teamwork and probably every business or every firm, especially those that service family law say that, but I can say that with honesty here because we are a group of people that express opinions on a regular basis. One of the best things that Jamie and I took away from our respective firms when we left them was the camaraderie that we had with our associates and the lines of communication that we had to our partners at that point. And we really strive to replicate that here. We have open doors. We have collaborative discussions. We talk about cases all the time. We try to place the people that we think are best for the case on the file. We don't work with egos, we work with results. And I think that that has been one of the things that has led our team to be so aligned with our mission and so, you know, on board with the way that we want to do things because there's no divide here. We don't have a we don't have walls where nobody knows what's going on. They know the client's names, they know what's going on in the cases, they're invested in the stories, they care about the people, they care about the children involved and I think that culture has really been something that's been long and coming and hard to create because you have to find people that fit within it. But when you do, you protect it like a mama bear because it's so key to the success of a business. 
Right, right. When did when did you know that it was uh, time for you to bring in other attorneys? I think that there were probably two ways that we did that. One was, I mean, the work just gets too much for any one person or any two people, and we know that we are not able to produce and grow in a the way that we want with quality work and details and client, you know, feeling satisfied. But the other part was, how do we serve more people? And we can only serve more people if we have people in our firm that can provide the capacities. We can't be chief cook, bottle washer, lawyer, mediator, biller, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, receptionist and, and you know, garbage collector. If we're trying to do all that, we can't actually produce and promote a firm that will help more people. And when we got to the point where we said, we're doing our best, but there's no more bandwidth, we sort of get to the point where we're like, okay, well, we need more people like us. How do we do that? And then you go through the hiring process and here you are. Did you have fear? Did either of you have fear around money and around paying paying, uh, an attorney and um, supporting an attorney and providing for them what you, you know, what they expect and what they want. And if so, how did you deal with that? Yes, currently and probably will in the future because that (laughs) as a business, as a business owner, there are those days where you take a step back and you're like, whoa, all these people are relying on me. And I have to keep way too adult for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tomorrow, can I stop adulting? Um, but yes, all the time. But I think that that can do one of two things. It can paralyze you and keep you in a situation where you continue to be the chief bottle washer, cook, you know, garbage collector, and biller and receptionist, or you push past that fear and know that it'll make you hungrier and will make you work harder to make sure that you can sustain the people that you're bringing in and the brand that you're creating. And it makes you drive for more business and more growth. And Jamie and I are, are like I said before, control a, a, a plus personality. So for the two of us, fear is, is always there, but we won't let that stop growth and we won't let that stop our goal to help as many people as we can. So we push past it and we budget and we forecast and we watch our numbers and we learn how to measure our metrics and we pay attention to those things. And that helps us, you know, ride through, you know, any concerns that we might have. And it it puts us in a place where we feel more comfortable being able to make those decisions because we have actual data to rely upon. Mm -hmm. And is there a, a, a much bigger vision? I mean, how is there an end to how big? Yes, there is a definitive end to, to how big. We never want, we for personal reasons, Jamie and I do not want to be so big that we don't know how many people we have. We can't fit around a conference table for firm lunch, which we make sure that we do once a week. We don't want to lose sight of birthdays and special occasions and important things. So, there will be a too big point. I, I I can't say that it's now. I think we have room to grow and we are looking to grow, but we both believe in a very, you know, carefully picked 
family here that serves the families that we need to serve. So there will be a too big point. Yes. So what, as you know, this is the, this is the solo to CEO podcast. And and so I'm always very interested to um, have my guest share maybe some of the lessons that they have learned on their journey from solo to CEO, wherever they are uh, on the journey um, so that people who may be behind them in the journey can um, learn from their lessons. Um, so are there, are there some things that kind of come to your mind, uh, you know, if you had it to do over again, <laughs> kind of, um, yeah. thing, you, you know, lessons that come to your mind that you, you'd like to share? I think two, there are two that really come to my specific mind. And I speak for me and these, not necessarily for Jamie, though she would probably tend to agree with me. But one, you have to know your data. Yes, flying by the seat of your pants is a great idea, maybe on day one, but by day 100, you really have to start thinking about what is my business plan and really commit the time to sitting down and working on your business and not just in your business. Because when you work on your business, you realize a lot of things. You look at numbers, you look at metrics, you and, and I, I don't like it because it brings an element of fear. When we sit down and we have administrative meetings now, we go through bookkeeping and collections, I always take a deep breath, like, okay, what are we going to hear today? How am I going to push through this? Like, And it's not bad. It's always fine. It's just one of those things that you have to do as a business owner. And when you don't, you're actually doing a disservice to yourself. So, you know, find find a quiet place, find somebody who wants to sit there and talk to you, you know, talk to your, to, to the squirrel on the park up the block, do whatever you need to do in order to find time to actually review those metrics and really dig into what your business is telling you because that way there are no surprises. Mm-hmm. And I think the second thing is, you know, mindset, mindset, mindset. Like we all have our scripts. We all have the ways that we want to do things. We all have our fear and unless we actually learn how to work on ourselves and figure out what's holding us back, what's keeping us from making the next decision, why we operate the way that we operate, how we communicate with people, what our triggers are, we wind up sabotaging ourselves and we wind up hiring the wrong people or firing the right people or you know, choosing this client because they're safe today and not necessarily because they're good for the business. And those are not choices that can sustain or help you grow long-term. So you have to get out of your own way. And just kind of following that same thought, what do you believe is the most important factor in your success so far? That is a good question. I think it's pushing past fear. I think fear can really undermine a business. It can set you back in the same patterns. It can force you to communicate negatively with the people around you. It can lead you to making poor money choices or poor people choices. And I think if you can take that first leap, then you just keep taking leaps. Maybe they're not, you know, aggressive. Maybe they're they're a small step, but they are movement. And without movement, they're standstill. And standstill just leads you to the same place that you've been. And so there's no ability to develop and grow both your business and you. You have to push past that fear. 
Um, let me ask you this. Did you set out kind of from the beginning thinking that you were eventually going to have your own firm? <laughs> no, decidedly the exact opposite. In law school, I very much wanted, um, I, I, I loved constitutional rights. I loved the law. I interned at the ECLU. I wanted to proceed for, you know, truth, justice in the American way. I was against the billable hour. I was against business for profit. I, it was not in my DNA at all. I then realized I would not be able to eat unless I made some money, um, <laughs> nor would I have health care or any of the other things that go along with, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the good, positive work that people do in this world on a pro bono basis. And so I said, okay, just for a little bit. And, you know, 16 years later, here I am, just for a little bit. So not at all did I ever think I would own my own firm, never mind own a business or two for that matter. Yeah. Yes, you own a you own a second business. You want to tell tell us a little bit about that? Uh, polar opposite to what I do every day. I own with a different business partner a boutique uh, Pilates yoga fitness studio here in Long Valley, New Jersey, which is also Morris County, but the other side. Um, it is a boutique environment, and it is really a phenomenal space and a phenomenal place as well. Also for transformation, but just of a different kind. What made you decide to um, start that business? I, my partner there, and I, um, her name is Michelle. She uh, actually was my personal trainer in 2007. I made a commitment to myself to becoming healthy and um, really getting in shape and, you know, trying to set my mind and body up for the long journey because I didn't want to be 90 and unable to walk. And uh, she worked at this particular location to, there were two other owners at the time and I started going there and I loved the environment. I loved the space. She had an opportunity to buy the business and, you know, I pitched to her, let me come in with you. It's going to be great for me. I know how to run a business. She had never run a business before. <laughs> I said then I knew how to run a business. That was funny. But um, I thought I knew how to run a business. I could do a lot of the administrative work. She had a lot of the client facing, you know, training experience. And I thought, what a great outlet for me to have this positive, happy environment you know, balancing out this difficult, complex, emotional work that we do here at Jacobsburger. And that was my initial thought. Both businesses have blossomed. They both have grown in their own in their own right. And while I still feel that both are positive, balance is an interesting concept that I'm not sure actually exists in the world. <laughs> yeah, I used to own a uh, fitness studio myself. So, ah, so you know, uh, yes, I do. I do know. We'll have to have more more on that later. More of that different <laughs> <laughs> podcast topic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and and I find it uh, I find it interesting because I do find you know when I talk with um, women entrepreneurs who own law firms, oftentimes they you know we invest in other types of businesses because. Once you get bit by that entrepreneurial bug, oh, for sure. You know, you just you can't help it. You wanna you everything you see, and you're like, ooh, that would make an interesting business. Hmm. <laughs> I said the same thing. I was walking by Jamie on my 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 way past the conference room, and I stopped and I go, I have another business idea. And she goes, How many do you want? I said, That's <laughs> not the point. Let's talk later. <laughs> it happens exactly. daily. 
Yes, it's fun. It's fun because it's fun. It's fun to grow a business. And once you develop those skills, you know, you know, why not use them, right? Absolutely. So, terrific. Uh, all right. Any other final thoughts that you want to share today before we wrap up? I just think that it's important for anybody who owns a business, women especially, but any kind of business owner, do the work. Don't do just the work that your business is serving, but do the work for you and your business because you see such growth in your entire life when you work that way that it has positive impacts both business-wise and personal-wise. I couldn't agree more. And uh, so tell us how we can find you on the internet. Uh, www.jacobs, J-A-C-O-B-S, burger, B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Um, we are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and all social media channels coming to a theater near you. Um, <laughs> that is the main source that you can find out about our firm and about um, the partners and the associates that work here Terrific. and the good work that we do. Good, good. So thanks so much for being here and sharing. I, lots of great information, uh, especially for those who are considering partnership. And um, uh, it sounds like you guys have really done it well. Not not an easy thing to do to uh, have partner to have a partner, and then to make a partnership last and do it well. And so I congratulate you on that because it sounds like you chose well and that you guys have put the work into it. So wonderful. And it sounds like the firm's doing really well. And I can't wait to check back with you a few years from now and see how much more you've grown. Thanks Thank so you. much for Thank being you here. For having. Thank you yeah. for having me. I really appreciate it. The Solo to CEO podcast is sponsored by D. Frederick Media and Marketing and the Solo to CEO system. We help professional women entrepreneurs transform from solos to CEOs of high-impact, high-revenue-generating businesses while reclaiming their time and creating the lifestyle of their dreams. If you are ready to skyrocket your revenue, cultivate a crackerjack team, and set up systems and automation to get your firm running like a well-oiled machine so you can focus on the highest and best use of your time, then you'll want to attend our latest presentation, Six Shifts to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at law.solotoceo.biz webinar.